live in a culture that talks about love all the time, but really has no idea what love actually means. Today, the message from Romans 12 we've been going through is living in love. And in a way, see this as uh, being so much at the heart of, of Romans 12 and what it is saying. The verses we are going to be looking at, and I hope you open your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. And it should be page 948. Uh, but the, the key verses we're going to look at are Romans 12, 9 through 10. But let's start at the beginning of Romans 12 to kind of review where we've been, to view this in context as well. Uh, there's some Bible scholars, they look at this and say, at this part in, in Romans 12, we have a bunch of kind of uh, disconnected commands, kind of a string of pearls, kind of one command after another, not really tied together. And I would say if these are a string of pearls, they're, they're a string of pearls that they're connected by a string. And I think the string that runs through all of these that we've seen in the past, that we're looking at today and into the next few weeks, is this idea of, of the love of God. The love of God that has saved us, that transforms us, and that, that flows through us and needs to go into the lives of other people and into the world around us. So let's start actually with Romans 12, verse 1, reading this again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And now the two verses for today. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is God's word and we will look at this today. We will depend on God's Holy Spirit to apply this to our hearts in exactly the way that we need to take it in and to apply it to our lives. So in this section, we'll break this down into four parts as we, we walk through this passage and we begin to think about this, and I hope you continue to even after this message gets done. But the first thing we will say is to let love be real love. It says in our verse, let love be genuine. 
I think what we mean this is we need love to be, to be real love. Other translations may translate it slightly differently. Uh, the NASB and New King James say, let love be without hypocrisy. The NIV says, let love be sincere. The, the King James says, without dissimulation, which is not a word I use too much. What, is, what does that mean? But uh, basically saying no dissimulation, okay, as, as you wish. Uh, so whatever that means. Uh, but love must be, it has to be the real thing. And I think one thing that we can get from this is this means that there are times, there are times out there when people may talk about love. They may think that they know what love is, but it may not actually be genuine, real, true, honest love. It may be some sort of counterfeit. It may be off the mark in some way. And I think this is definitely true in the world, a world that, like I said, talks so much about love, but doesn't really know what it means because they don't know the real source of love. And I think there's times even in the church that we need to continue to have our minds renewed because we breathe the air of our culture. And it can become so easy to think that we know what we're talking about when we say love, but it could be just us uh, breathing in and out the, the, the polluted air of this world with the wrong definition of what love really is. So thinking about this a little bit, let me give just kind of three examples. This is not an exhaustive uh, list, but one, you know, love is, is not genuine when it's a love that takes rather than a love that, that gives. That the world's idea of loving so often is a love that is just take, 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 give me, give me. This is a kind of love that uh, basically says, I, I love you because I love what you do for me. Basically, treating another person the same way that you treat pizza. I love pizza because I love how delicious you are. I love, I, I love to take you into my life. I love what you do to me. You're not, you're not giving your life away for a pizza. You're not serving it. You're not uh, pouring into the, the pizza. It is, it is giving to you. And we treat other people like that. So many times, it's, I, love what you, I love how you make me feel. I love the, the, the pleasure I receive from you. I love the way that you, that you serve me. I need you. And sometimes it's a very deep emotion. Sometimes it's, it's very deep and codependent. But it's a love that is about taking. It's about that's receiving instead of a love that's giving. The love that God has which is the love that we're supposed to have, is this, is this a giving type of love. Yeah, we do receive the love of Christ. We do, okay? So we take that and we are grateful for that. But we're able to take that because God's love is that he has loved us first. He has poured into us. The word here for love is, is agape. And this refers so often to this, this unconditional, this godly giving type of love. So the world often has this idea of love that is, is about taking, it's about receiving. We're supposed to be about a love that, that gives to other people. And this means that love is not just a feeling. It is not, I, I feel this way because I, I like you so much. I like what you do for me. It is, love is active. Giving is an active thing that we do. You have to, to do love in people's lives. So love is not genuine when it just takes. It reflects God's love when we have a love that, that gives. 
Also, we'll say love is not genuine when it's only sweet on the surface. The word here for genuine can be translated without hypocrisy. And what hypocrisy means, it literally means false face. It was used at the time, you ever see uh, symbols for the theater when they have the little masks? that they used to wear in you know, ancient theater where you have the, the, the frowny mask and the, the smiley mask. And in the ancient theater, they would use these masks. The actors would put them over their face to convey these, these expressions. And uh, this is basically the word for, for hypocrisy. It means to be, have a false face, to be an actor. That what you see on the surface isn't the same thing that is underneath the surface, that is, that is at the core. And isn't it true and isn't it sad that so much that passes for love these days is, is that type of love. It may look like love on the surface. And even uh, it, may, it may look like it's the, the sweetest thing, but underneath it's something different. You ever, ever have some of those candies? Maybe it's a, uh, a chocolate cover or something and there's something in the center. You know, and uh, it's, it, it's good in the outside. It's got this chocolate coating and you bite into it. And then it, you know, squirts out some kind of like, you know, delicious chocolate, chocolate syrup or something into your mouth and it's just a wonderful thing. You bite down on it. Uh, it's beautiful. That's how it's supposed to be. But oftentimes, the way the love is, is people are, tend to be uh, chocolate covered. But in, instead of love, you know, being what's in the middle, it's, imagine like a chocolate covered battery acid. Okay, yeah, <laughs> not what you'd want. But sometimes it's like that. It seems sweet, it seems desirable and wonderful on the surface, but, but you bite down, down and something different comes out from the heart. God is not calling you, Christian, to just be chocolate-covered battery acid. And that's why he works, he doesn't change our outside. That's not really worth it if it, God is just changing our outside. He has to change our hearts. He has to change what is inside as well. Because when the pressure comes, what, it, what is inside is going to squirt out. And if it's, full of, if it's full of bitterness, if it's full of destructiveness, then what we're going to be doing is, is hurting and harming and poisoning other people rather than being something wonderful that God has, has created us to be. So love is also, it's, it's not the real thing when it's not genuine all the way down to the center. Let me give, let me give you a final Thing for this point, and you could think of plenty more. But I think in our society, especially today, we need to realize that love is not genuine when it's merely irresponsible affirmation. And I think there's other ways we could put this, but what I'm trying to get at is so much of our society today says that basically, unless you get blanket approval to just anything and everything, you're an unloving person. It's like, imagine that you see somebody and they're chugging a, a gallon of a poison. And you can tell on there that they're drinking poison. They just you know, pulled it out from under the sink and they're, just, they're chugging this away. And hey, maybe they're enjoying this poison. They seem like they're, they're into this. And you have to say, what are you going to do? And you say, that's poison. You are, you are hurting yourself. You are harming yourself. But we live in a society that wants to tell you 
that it is unloving for you to point out to that person, no matter how lovingly you do it, and no matter how much you care about their well-being, that what you're doing is you are, you're drinking poison. You are, you are harming yourself. Maybe you're not feeling this right now, but you're just doing something that is destructive to you from the core of your being. But instead, our society says what you need to do is you need to affirm them. You need to, to support them. Celebrate their, their drinking poison. Celebrate what, the, what they're doing. And that supposedly is, is showing love to them. If somebody was really drinking poison, we'd realize how, how ridiculous that is. And when we see people around us, people we care about, people that, that are in our world, we need to find the way, in the, the right way at the right time to, to let them know this and to know that in God's eyes that is not unloving. It is what we need to do. It may be uncomfortable because maybe they say, what, what is it your business if I'm drinking poison? You know, we need to, you need to support me as I drink my poison. But poison is poison. So letting someone drink poison and not stopping them just because they, they might get mad at you. They, they might react. That's not genuine love. Genuine love is God's kind of love. And it's God's kind of love because it's from God. God is the source of love. And even more, we know that the Bible says that God himself is love. Think about what is said in, in 1 John chapter 4, 7-11. through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is the source of our love. We need to love with his type of love. His type of love is self-giving. Ours needs to be as well. His love is, is real to the core, and so should ours. And his love is based on truth and what genuinely is best for those that are around us. And that's what our love needs to be as well. So that's our first point. Second, we'll say that we need to love what God loves. And we need to only love what God loves. Because back to the, the book of Romans, it says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So this means that we need to, we need to love in the right direction. So much that is wrong in the world is people are trying to love, but they're, they're loving in the wrong direction. Instead of loving what is good, they're, they're loving what is evil. And instead of abhorring things that, that are evil, they're, they're loving that instead. We need to love in the right direction. We need to love what God loves, and we need to, we need to hate what God hates. So let's think about what a few of these are. Let me give you some examples of things that, that we ought to love, that we ought to hold fast to. It says hold fast to. You could translate this cling to. Uh, the word can be translated as to cleave to someone. It, it's a very deep thing, and you need to cleave, or else it, it tends, to, to, tends to get away. We need to hold tightly to it. 
God loves, he loves righteousness. We know that. Psalm 45, verse 7, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It talks about that also in Psalm 33, 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm, God also, in addition to righteousness, he loves justice. It's justice as he defines justice because he is the standard and the source of justice. Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Isaiah 61, 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. And I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Lord, the Lord loves goodness. Things God loves, the things that are the good, the beautiful, the true. Amos 5.15 tells us, Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious and to the remnant of Joseph. You know what else God loves? He loves these things. God also loves the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Talking about the, the people of, of this world, the people that God has created. God has a love that is, that is so deep that he was willing to give Jesus Christ. That anyone, no matter who you are, if you trust Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, that you, you can, you will be saved. And I want you to know that because maybe you think that God doesn't love you. Maybe you think, well, you, God loves the, the other people, the good people here, but, but not you. Well, I want you to know that God loves sinners. And that's why we as Christians can gather here, because we acknowledge that, that we are not perfect people at all. We are sinners that have been saved by the, by the grace of God. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 God loves the world. He loves sinners. So there's, there's a type of love that, that goes out to everyone in this world. But I also believe that there is there's a special love that God has for his family, for his, for his people, for the church. Because in the same way that, that we, sh- we should love everyone, there is a special family love that each of us have. Ephesians 5.25, speaking to husbands, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. And we're in the book of Romans. The book of Romans starts out, Romans 1.7, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are going to, if we are going to love what God loves, if we are going to, to, to hate what God hates, it means, first of all, well, we need to love God. We need to love him in his glory because God loves his, his glory. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit loves the Father, loves the Son. That needs to be what our first love is, loving God himself. We need to love righteousness. He is the source of righteousness. 
and we need to love the people around us, and we especially need to love each other in the body of Christ. And this whole series is about, is about loving each other, living the Christian life together, and showing that love. Not just in a general way that's, oh, I'm, I, I feel these emotions, but are we living that out? Are we, are we serving each other? Are we sacrificing? Are we taking time to notice each other? Are we taking time that, yes, we could be spending on other things so we can pour into each other's lives to be that conduit of God's love that he would have for us to be? When it talks about not loving the things that God doesn't love, it uses some strong language. The word in Romans here for to hate means to have a vehement dislike, to strongly abhor something. And we see God, God loves the world. He loves sinners in the world, but he doesn't love sin. And he doesn't love evil. Evil is like, it should be abhorrent to us. Evil is like rotten milk. Imagine you have, you have some milk that you've, you've let out in the sun for a while. You know, it's been there. The, one of the kids left a carton of milk, and it's, it's been in the back of the car for a, for a few weeks, and you didn't notice it. Now imagine opening up that carton, taking a whiff of that. Now imagine. <laughs> you're, you're, it makes you gag, doesn't it? You know, there's a way that I think that evil is supposed to be like that for us. Sin is supposed to make us gag. There's a gagging reflex that we have when we're about to ingest something that will be harmful to us. And it is not good if you develop a taste for, for, for nasty, rotten, putrid milk. Okay? Because you're going to take something into your life that is harmful. It should be that our bodies are designed that we want to expel this from our lives. And the same should be true for sin. But we live in a world where we take it in, we take it in, we take it in. Where instead of that, we should, it, it should, in revulsion, come, come flying out of us instead. We're not supposed to keep it down. You're not supposed to enjoy it. And you're not supposed to let it become a part of you. God's love is, is not soft on evil. God wasn't soft on our sin. He went to the, the cross because that's how he felt about sin. That the only way to deal with it was not to turn a blind eye, but to, to have it nailed to the cross and taken care of by the, the sacrifice of the Son of God. And there are things that God abhors. God does not love sin. For example, Proverbs six sixteen through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates. Seven it goes on, six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Now, you don't have to figure out which is the six and which is seven. He's being, this is poetical, okay? And it's not like this is the only list of six or seven things. But here's some examples. And this is, ask yourself, is God okay with these things? He is not. Haughty eyes. Okay, we're prideful, we're arrogant. A lying tongue. God is a God of truth. He's not a God of, of, of spin. He's not a God of deception, of, of lies. Our world doesn't care about that, but God does. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And yet we live in a society that has aborted millions of human lives before they came into this world. 
God hates hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. Maybe we haven't even put the, those plans into practice, but when it's that evil that we're planning these things, that is something like that, that God is against that evil. He's against that sin. Feet that make haste to run to evil instead of running away from evil or people running to evil. A false witness that breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Sowing seeds of, of divisiveness going against the unity that should take place among, amongst brothers. Something that God abhors. We need to love in the right direction. Love what God loves. Only what he loves. We need to love our brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. It says, love one another with, with brotherly affection. How many of you are fans of, of Philadelphia? No one? Well, you should be. In the <coughs> original language, when Paul wrote this, he says, he uses the word Philadelphia. You ever hear Philadelphia called the city of brotherly love? Because that's the, the Greek word that is, is right here. We are, um, well, if, if you read it in the literal word order in Greek, it's with brotherly love, one another love. Which kind of sounds like Yoda wrote this. With brotherly love, one another love. Uh, <clears throat> but saying that's the type of love that we're supposed to love each other with. Philadelphia, uh, phileo, means, means affection. And adelphos is, is the word for brother. So it's a brotherly affection that we feel, that we show to one another, and we're supposed to love each other with that type of, of affection. Uh, the other word at the end is actually a, a compound word. There's two other words for love. We've already mentioned agape and phileo. There's a word, uh, storge, which means kind of family love, the kind of natural love that families have for each other. And it says to brotherly love each other with this, a combination of this, this affection and family storge love combined. Why should we love each other with this kind of brotherly love? Well, because Christians, you, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible repeatedly, over and over, says this, that you've been adopted into his family, which Jesus Christ is your older brother. God has become our adopted father. And that in God's eyes, you are very literally brothers and sisters in Christ. So yes, this family love is very, very, very appropriate for us to be having and showing to one another. I think it's interesting, too. There are four Greek words for love. We see three of them here. The one that you don't see is eros, which we get a word erotic from that. And it's interesting that in a society that that's the main thing they think of when they hear of love, that God, when he is talking about this, that's the one that, that he, he is not specific, he is not mentioning here. But this type of love, brotherly love, it's not a passive thing. And it's not an optional thing. He doesn't say if you feel like it, if you have time, if you can fit it into your busy schedule, then show this brotherly affection. Then love each other in this type of a way. But hey, if, if you've got other things going on, then don't worry about it. Because you've got you to think about. Okay, you got you to take care of. No, this is God's command. This is his message for us. If, if you and I, if we are not 
loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're, we're disobeying this verse. We're disobeying God's Word. If we're disobeying this, we're, we're in sin. If you have your bulletin, I'd like you to, to find something in there. There's a card. On one side it says, let love be genuine. On the other side it says, encouragement exchange. I had this idea a while back, and I thought, when would be a good time to do this? You ever do Secret Santa? Okay, where you get an exchange for somebody? This is kind of like this, but not with gifts. Not, you don't have to spend money on this. It's, your gifting is encouragement and prayers instead. But what I would like, I would like everyone that if, if this is, uh, if you're part of the church family here at all, or maybe it's your first week, but maybe you're going to be coming back, I would, I would love everyone to participate in this. I'll explain what it is, and then in a little bit, we're going to have the ushers come and we're going to collect these. Because what we're going to do, and I, I really would hope, I mean, if, if you're a visitor and you know, you're, you're going back to wherever, then uh, obviously it's different for, for you, but uh, for everyone that's going to be around, I would very much hope that you could be a part of this, even if you're on the newer side of things. Fill out your name and address, one per family, Okay, just one per family. You can do it as a family. And uh, when the ushers come, they'll collect these. And then at the end of the service, when you leave, when you go through the entranceways from the small foyer to the large foyer, I want you to randomly pick one of these. Okay? And this is going to be your kind of secret encouragement, you know, partner. Not really partners because you'll be encouraging someone else. Probably someone else will have your name and they'll be encouraging you. And uh, we'll leave it to God's sovereignty who you get. Okay? Keep it a secret. So we said it's kind of like a secret Santa. You call it secret saint, I guess. You know, or saints or brothers and sisters in Christ. But that sounds cheesy, so we call it an encouragement exchange. And again, it's not about buying gifts. Okay? This isn't about impressing with, you know, spending money. Uh, but what you can do instead, um, and hopefully you start right away, we'll do this from now until Palm Sunday. Okay? And like I said, keep it a secret. So send them notes. Send them cards. Be praying for them. Maybe write out some prayers. You can be creative in what you put together and what you do. And hopefully as you're doing this, someone else is doing it for you and you're receiving encouragement as, as well. And we'll see if, I hope this is, I hope this is a neat thing. Now if you're part of this, I, I hope that you actually do it. Otherwise, it means there's someone out there that's, that's not going to get anything. And I know we get busy, and I know maybe you're thinking, well, I don't want to do this right now because I'm busy. But isn't that the point of this whole message, that we need to make time, even in the midst of our busyness, to say, I'm going to do this for someone else. I'm a, I can pray for another family that's part of our church family, another brother and sister in Christ and, and their family. And if, if you're resisting this, I pray that God would, would speak to your heart that this would be something that you'd be willing to do. So, have that filled out uh, right now. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come and uh, they're gonna, this time they're going to pass the plates. Okay, but this is just for the, or they'll collect these um, and they'll get the card. So the, the ushers can come now and start collecting these. Like I said, we'll do this, keep it secret. Who you got? Take whoever you get. At the end, no looking. Unless you get yourself, then you can you can draw somebody else too.
or instead. But as they finish doing this, I mentioned our last point, was, is that we should compete to out-honor each other. It says in Romans, to, to love, it says to outdo one another in showing honor. To out-honor, to out-love each other. This is, is competitive loving. It's competitive honoring. You know, for those of you that have this competitive spirit, you know, there's a sense where we want to be the one that, is, uh, that, that wins, that does the best job. Take that, that natural desire and point it towards good and try to, to out-honor other people. Try to be the one that, that takes the initiative to do this. Try to be the one that you're looking for opportunities to show love in other people's lives, to, to honor them above yourself. I almost, in the notes, put this as out-love each other. And I think that could be true as well. The whole passage here is about love. But I switched it back to showing honor because that's the word that is in the passage. But I also realized if we think of it that way, it protects us from something. Because we're all sinners and we have that sinful part that's still in us that can take something good and, and twist it. And it would be possible for us to even try to outlove each other but then make it a selfish thing that's all about, see, I'm more loving than you are. I'm the most wonderful loving person. And I've to... But if you think of it as out honoring the other person, then it's less likely to happen. We're trying to, to show them honor. We're trying to put, put them on more of a pedestal and, than us being on the pedestal. You know, we don't need to be the one that uh, at the Olympics is on the, the gold medal part of the platform. We're willing to let somebody else be there instead. That's what Jesus did. If there's anyone that deserved to be on the highest part of the platform, it's, it's Jesus. But instead, it says in the book of Philippians, it says, do, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It goes on, it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it gives the ultimate example. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't hang on to it. He didn't hang on to his rights of, of being at the top of the podium. He was willing to come down. It says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word for outdo literally could be translated as, as go before. Could have the idea of going first, taking initiative. Christian love from God is not, I love you if. I love you if you do something first, then I'll respond. God's love goes first. God's love is, is unconditional. Don't be passive, be active. Don't show genuine love only as a response to someone else that has gone first. This isn't what Christ did. And Christ is the ultimate example of, of each of these points that we've looked at today. His love, his love was genuine. His love was self-giving. It was true to the core. His love took initiative. Christ always loved what was good. 
And he hated so much that he was willing, he hated sin so much that he was willing to die on the cross to defeat it. And if we love what God loves, then we will love our brothers and sisters in Christ because, because our Father, the Holy Spirit, now our elder brother, Jesus Christ, loves them. We will love them because Christ loved them enough even to die for them. Let's live in love and let it be genuine. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you so much for the love that you've given to us, that you displayed through Jesus Christ. And your love took initiative. Your love was active, Lord. You did not wait for us to respond first. That would have never happened. But instead, while we were yet sinners, you loved us and you demonstrated this love. Lord God, fill us with your type of love, the love that comes from you, and help us to love the way that we ought to. And especially help us to love you and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And help us to take the love of Jesus into a world that needs to know genuine love. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.